Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. My name is Garth McKenzie. I've been trading since the age of 16. I headed up the retail derivatives desk for a large stockbroking firm in South Africa from 2003 until 2009. After that, I left the corporate world and I started traderscorner.co.za, an online service that caters to DIY traders providing analysis and trader education. I also ran the Traders Corner TV show on Business Day TV for over 10 years from 2009 to 2019. I've recently relocated to the UK and I trade both the South African and the offshore markets. Through this series, we hope to connect traders with other traders across the globe to share information, tips, and general advice on derivatives trading. The podcast series is brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. On to today's episode. Right, joining me for today's podcast is uh, Simon Brown, man who needs no introduction in the South African financial community founder of JustOneLap.com. Um, he was also originally the founder of SA Warrants back in the late 1990s and a very well-known public figure in the South African financial media space. Welcome, Simon. It's great to have you with us on the podcast today. Hi, Garth. My pleasure. Thank you very much. You and I met back in, I think it was in the late 1990s, in fact, when you were running SA Warrants at the time. Um, and I was a young buck. Uh, I think you and I, I think about ten years apart in age, if I'm not wrong. And yeah, so I, I think was, so. yeah. yeah, we're ten. I'm forty, and I think you've just turned fifty, if I'm right. Yes. Yeah. Pro- so proper old. <laughs> well, uh, you wear it well. Let's put it that way. Um, now, you know, I, I remember I was just a young buck, uh, literally uh, out of school uh, back in the late 1990s when you were running SA Warrants, and that was an exciting time. Um, but if we go back a little bit before that, I mean, what, what got you started with trading and what is your background? How did you get into this game? Yeah, I, I'll give you the very short version. I mean, I actually studied film and video in the late 80s at uh, what was then uh, Natal Tech. Um, I, I'd wanted to go into journalism, but ended up doing film and video. But I'd always had an interest in stock markets. Uh, my grandfather on my father's side um, had a, a passing interest. He truthfully was more interested in horse racing. Um, but I used to get the Sunday Tribune and read Richard Clover and, and the JC Handbook. And I would write off to companies and request their annual report and was always amazed when they sent me this giant colorful you know printed document etc um and then i i started sort of you know i i bought some shares sort of the buy and holds uh oddly enough one of them Cecil, which i bought in 1994 and sold uh, just ahead of the collapse back in early feb um the trading sort of started mid 90s and, and and that was the internet came along uh there's a sort of a deregulation of stockbrokers so minimum fees fell away uh slight cut in the tax that one had to pay and that sort of thing um so it was about the mid 90s started trading it was the early days of the the dot com boom uh, there was a lot of small listings mold meds and the like happening on on, on the jsc uh, around that time um, and, I, and I was, you know, we were sitting on delayed prices, you were on dial-up internet, 9600 uh, uh, modems, um, it, it was primitive, it was absolutely primitive, you know, if you wanted to do a trade, you phoned your broker, at that point there was no proper online tra- uh, trading at all, 
and I got to say it was a disaster. I, I was a total expert at losing money. I, I was behind every curve and, 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 and almost consistently lost money until uh, late 99, 2000. That's very interesting you say that because that was going to be my next question to you. you know, I, and I think it's largely a rite of passage I find with traders that most people I encounter and most successful traders have had a disaster in their early years. And I know I certainly did. I mean, I remember starting out at 16 years of age uh, trading and, uh, and by the time I was 22, I worked out how much money I'd lost in the stock market <laughs> and it was enough back then to buy a Golf GTI brand new out of the box. And uh, and the only reason why it was a Golf GTI and not a Mercedes S-Class was just because I didn't have as much money to as the S-Class to lose. So, you know, my story was also a very uh, disaster in the early years. I was a very slow learner. Um, so it sort of echoes what, what you're saying. I mean, what were your first years like? You're saying that it was tough, um, but yet you well, obviously kept going. I kept going. I mean, what, what saved me, and I've said this before, is that, when I was trading, there were initially no derivatives. I mean, Safix existed, had done since, what, 87. But it wasn't available for a private client like me. So you're trading equity. Uh, warrants came along October 97. And even with that, your downside was always capped at 100%. And I know that sounds extreme. But, you know, it, it, at least you never had to pony up more money. And for me, it was just a case of you're buying equity. I mean, we didn't even have sense in those days. We didn't have directors' dealings. The flow of information. There was some some uh, email chat groups that I belonged to and Usernet uh, forums and the like. And it was mostly rumor mongering and all of that. And what I would do, my my classic mistake was always, is, is I would hear the rumor and everyone would be jumping in. And I would wait for the news to break and then I would jump in. And what everyone else was doing was buying the rumor and selling the fact. And I was the poor sucker buying the fact and then getting, you know, cleaned out in, in, in the process. Um, and, and it was just, you know, you were kind of, I suppose, trading on, on fundamentals. There was uh, some technicals. I probably got my first proper sort of charting software, maybe about 1998. Before that, I was doing it on on graph paper with a clutch pencil um and and you know reading books uh, martin pring and, and martin j pring and the like um but then too scared to draw my graphs because then i had to recreate the entire thing again so it, it was it was proper rudimentary um i i i never went back and calculated what i lost at the time um it, it undoubtedly was was you know some level of a truckload but there was just a perseverance just a sense from me that whilst i wasn't succeeding at it it just it looked like something that surely couldn't be that hard um once you'd mastered the basics the mistakes i was making was that mastering the basics more than anything was about managing risk and it, it took me a long time to get that part i mean truthfully it took me until 2000 and mark douglas trading in the zone to truly start understanding risk and and managing risk yeah, that's right. And I mean, we've we obviously got a very similar story to tell there. And you refer to Mark Douglas and trading in the zone. I mean, that's one of the trading books that I've reread year after year. Mm -hmm. I try and read it once a year just because it's got such valuable lessons from a psychological perspective. It's probably the best trading book I've ever read in terms of managing to really hit the nail on the head in terms of, of trading psychology. And, um, and as I say, I try and read that book every single year. 
But now moving forward, I mean, you've—I know you talk of your your lazy trading systems, and you've got a couple of interesting trading systems that you that you employ. And I know that from in our interactions in the past, you've you've really honed up your discipline and become a, a very 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 disciplined trader, which has been largely where you can attribute your success to. But what would you say that your primary trading strategy is now? I mean, I, so, I mean, I, I trade trends. I, I, and there's a small caveat to that, and I'll get to that in a second. I, I, I trade a trend. I've, I've always been a, a trend-based trader, even when I didn't know what that really sort of meant. Um, and, and truthfully, to your point, what keeps me in this game is my discipline. And more than anything, my, my discipline on, on stop losses. I, I'm not the world's best uh, uh, reader of charts. I, I, you know, I, I, when I do a chart, it's an embarrassment. I mean, that, that's never been my skill set. I've always been a big fan of, of simplicity and the likes. So I've always, in essence, looked for ideas of what's telling me what the trend is doing. And I've always largely, in fact, apart from a period in the early 2000s when I was very big into stochastics and the like, mostly I use uh, uh, moving averages, if, 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 if anything, just because they're quite close to price. I, I, I take the theory that the only truth I have in the market is that price. That last trade is, is a true point. Everything else is opinion and bids and offers are, are you know, people trying to spook others, etc. My price is true. I want to stay as close to it as possible. Um, and therefore, the more complex indicators and oscillators and the like, I, I, I don't like. Uh, I worry about trend lines because it's going to bring my own bias into the equation. So broadly, it's just, you know, the, the, the lazy and stuff is, is literally just moving averages. Uh, more recently, in fact, this year and, and, and from about middle of last year, I've just been trading the price action on the Aussie um, pre-market, so the 8.30 to 9 o'clock process. And all I'm trying to figure is, where is the, where's the flow happening this morning? Is this thing being pushed higher or being pushed lower? Um, and, and, you know, again, no worry about news, no indicators, just looking at bids and offers, looking at who's jumping across the spread, looking at where that flow seems to be going, and then typically taking a position within the first sort of 10 minutes put my exits in and can walk away. Um, and I've been enjoying that. I've been liking that a lot. It, it, I always get sucked into the very, very short-term trading. Problem with that was then it became a 12-hour day job, um, whereas this is now sort of 20 minutes in the morning first thing, um, and then you know, my trading day is over, leaving me free for, for everything else. And last point I make is I only trade indices. I, I traded equity in the late 90s and, and early 2000s, but for the last probably the last decade, um, maybe a little longer. Uh, well, no, I was at Standard Bank 07 to 2010, so I didn't really trade there because of compliance and, and disclosure and all of that sort of thing. Um, pretty much I trade indices, uh, but in the currency side, but indices is, is my forte. It's what I enjoy. I like the risk levels. I like the moves. I, I like the leverage. I, I stick to indices. That's interesting. So, and you've, oh, you've mentioned the top 40. Do you trade the overseas indices as well? I, I, there was a while when I traded S&P, um, the E-minis, which I loved. The problem was time zones. Um, you know, I, I'm very protective of, of, of my time. I don't want to be trading at, you know, sort of until 10 o'clock at night. You know, I'd, I'd rather have dinner with my wife or, or watch a Netflix or something like that. Um, so the, the, the S&P not, I've been trading, I was trading some DAX. I haven't, I haven't this year, and, and that's largely because this year has just been a, insane year. I, I, I got my version of COVID in January. I got insanely sick and, and uh, et cetera, et cetera, and all the two weeks in bed and stuff. So it, it's just 
not been a, a great year. March has been, you know, I'm better and healthy and fit, but Jan and Feb just felt really old and really very 50. Um, and, and so I haven't, but I, I like the DAX because it's same, same time zone as us. Um, and that works. And what I love about an offshore market like the DAX is I don't know the drivers. I don't know the, you know, I know the German economy's manufacturing and Angela Merkel, and, but I don't know the nuances, which I do in South Africa. Um, my biggest challenge by getting to the market to trade Aussie at 8.30 is not seeing anything that'll bring bias into my brain. And with the DAX, that's easy because if I see it, I don't know what it means. I don't know implication. I mean, obviously broad, you know, global issues, COVID and that sort of thing, yes. Um, but I like that, 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 you know, focus on just price and no other bias coming into my brain. That's really interesting. I've also found that when you talk about an index like the DAX, that you don't really know its fundamentals, but you just look at the price action and you follow the price action it actually works quite well. I found a similar thing with, um, I look at US ETFs and I've mm-hmm. put together a watch list of about 180 different US ETFs that I track quite closely. And likewise, I don't necessarily know the fundamentals of those things, but I look at the price action on the chart and can make an assessment. And actually, in some respects, I found that's been to my advantage because you have no bias. You don't feel, oh, well, you know, I should be bullish this or I should be bearish it. I look at the chart and I just say, well, look at the chart. Is it going up? Is it going down? Is it likely to break higher or is it likely to break lower? And then you trade it just in accordance with the pricing action. So it's interesting that you refer to the DAX like that. And I can certainly relate to that. I've been doing some uh, playing on the IG platform and what I've been doing is just sort of, I, I get all the indices and, you know, with like, and, and they've got, I mean, what, when I say dozens, I'm probably wrong. It's probably hundreds of indices. And I basically sort them and say, so which have been the worst performers over the last little while? Um, and then I find one and then I go and I drill into that index and look for the worst stocks within that index. And the reason I'm doing worst is because for the last couple of weeks, there's been no green. So there hasn't been any upside. And it's weird. Like, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, it was a Norwegian index. Um, I didn't know they had a stock market. I suppose, of course they do. Um, and that was the worst performer. And I drilled in and I found some Norwegian stock that has subsequently collapsed 75%. And I know nothing about that stock. And, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, because it's just that price. It's just the chart. There's no, there's no worries about, you know, all your other, you know, bias and, and, and thinking and careful, you know, t- too much knowledge is a bad thing. Trading at its core is if it's going up, buy it. If it's going down, short it. And if you don't know, watch it. It should be that simple. We, we overly complicated. You're listening to Talking With Traders, a podcast series brought to you by IG a world-leading online trading and investment provider. If you haven't checked out the IG online trading platform, please do so and visit IG.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast series on your favorite podcast app or website by clicking on the subscribe button and you'll be notified weekly as we release new episodes. You're right. And I think just to that point, I mean, Sassel, you mentioned Sassel earlier in the conversation. Mm-hmm. It's obviously a very big talking point in South Africa at the moment of the way the share price has collapsed. But that is probably the most classic example you can think of at the moment is where one might have a bias. You know, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter and what have you suggesting, oh, we should be looking to try and buy Sassel into this weakness. And I think that is a bias. That's South Africans just seem to love Sassel for some other reason. They sponsor the rugby jerseys and they you know, <laughs> one of the great South African mm. success stories. So I think people are naturally biased to feel, you know, uh, 
somewhat loyal to the company, I guess. But if you look at that chart pattern, it's been bearish for a long time and you should have been shorting the hell out of that thing consistently yeah. throughout I mean, the I, last I, few months. I, 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 as I said, I bought Sassel in 94. I literally paid 16 bucks for it. Um, I did a bit in the early 2000s. And then for me, it was, I actually wrote a Finweek article a couple of years ago asking if I was wrong about Sassel. And I decided I wasn't. And it turns out I, I was wrong and it wasn't a quality stock um and i sold it about 240 250 and, and it was a hard sale it, it was a, a long-term hold for me a, a, a bottom draw i know you've got for your for your kids and and it, it, it was it was a very difficult decision because it's like oh 240 you know how much lower um and then i just reminded myself you know the bottom is zero hey? until you get to zero you can always go lower but it's still, even with decades of experience in this, it, it, it was a hard sell to do. And, and I'm fortunate, I write for Finweek. So then, you know, I almost, my readers kind of hold me to it and, and they're not aware of it. But, you know, I'm very much aware that I've spoken about Sassel and I need to respond and, and, and give update and stuff. Um, and, and that forced my hand. I wrote an article in Finweek where I said, I am selling Sassel. So now I have to sell it. Um, and the timing was, you know, it, it was random luck to your point it wasn't if you look at the chart it was it was heading down and the, the bottom is always going to be zero yeah absolutely and we've seen many of those in south africa the last couple of years eoh yeah um adapt it steinhoff Brait. there's just countless numbers of these things that have just gone from hero to nearly zero it's a great pity yeah. just getting back to um to trading though and your your specifically your approach to risk um yeah there's a widely held view out there that that you should never risk more than two percent of your capital on any one trade or sometimes that can be dragged down to one percent i've certainly found in my own trading as and as i've gotten older and maybe a bit wiser and perhaps uh, less testicular fortitude i've started to <laughs> i've started to reduce my risk on individual trades quite a bit so to the point where i seldom risk more than one percent on an individual trade nowadays um, what is your approach to that do you look at it as a specific percentage of your capital or how do you manage risk so I, 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 I'm going to start right at the bottom. So I, I view my investable portfolio as a pyramid. And at the bottom of that pyramid is currently about 57% of my, of my investments, and they sit in ETFs. Some of that is tax-free. The rest is obviously discretionary. Um, above that, I've got about a 25% component, uh, maybe 22 or 3%. And in fact, I haven't looked at my portfolio recently. So everything, the, the numbers are fast changing. Um, and that then sits into my sort of long-term, what I call my death to us part. High quality, uh, uh, good management companies that I think you know, will outlive me and that can survive sort of things like this COVID crisis we're seeing right now. Sassel was part of that and got bulleted. I then got my second tier stocks where I'm more just looking for a momentum play. I'm looking for, you know, you mentioned Adapt IT. On the way up, you want to hold it and at some point you want out. And there's, there's a lot of those, not recently and particularly not in the small and mid-cap space locally for a couple of years now. Um, and then right at the top, sort of, and, and, and that, that part of the portfolio, the second tier is almost all in cash, um, just because you know, I, I've, this COVID thing was worrying me back in late Jan. And, and, and I, I, I just thought, you know, 
money's not a bad idea. Cash is king right now. And then right at the top is my trading amount. And, and that's literally only a couple of percentage points. And within that, um, I'm probably, well, I'm not probably, I know the numbers exactly. I'm trading at about 2% risk on that. Um, but if that filters down into my entire portfolio, I'm, I'm trading at probably you know, 0.1 or something like that. But I'm, I'm very adherent. You know, when I'm doing the trade, uh, my Aussie morning trade, I, I trade in pairs of contracts. And my stop is just the trailing 100-point stop. So I'm risking 100 points. I do two contracts at a time. So I'm risking 200 points uh, per, per contract. And my view has always been, you know, if, if, you, if you're trading all Z futures, you need 100 grand per contract. So I've got 200, 200K in the, in the account. Uh, my risk is 200 points, which is two grand. And that, you know, that actually comes out at a, at a, at a 1%. But then you, there's some slippage sometimes and stuff. So, so you know, it, it seldom gets to 2%, but that's sort of my comfort zone. And if I go back to the 90s, I mean, basically, I would take whatever cash was in my portfolio and, you know, divide it into two or three blocks and, and, and deploy it with no sense of, you know, where was my stop loss? When do I admit that I'm wrong? When do I exit? When, when do I take profit? Uh, which is often the harder part of trading. Uh, um, and, and all of those. So now it's a very much rigid process. My stops are in, they're in the system. There's no, there's no shifting them. There's no R but. Um, and I still say, I mean, the reason why I'm around 20 years later uh, as a trader is because I am ruthless with executing my stops. I might not place them well, but man, when I start losing money and I hit that level, I, I, I get out. I just take the money and run. Yeah, that's so important. I mean, that's certainly something I found also doing my Traders Corner TV show on Business Day TV over the last 10 years. Um, mm -hmm. It keeps you honest, obviously having to be answerable to an audience, but the discipline and cutting losses was the single most, uh, the single biggest reason why that show was successful over the 10 years, because um, I never allowed a loss to get out of hand. And that's the, that is really at the end of the day, probably the most important thing in trading is to keep your losses small. Um, and if, it, if it's, you know, 1% or 2% or even 3%, whatever, the point is the number must be small at the end of the day and, and not be a significant uh, loss that can, that can make a big dent in your account. They can get very out of hand and, and they can decimate your portfolio. You know, if you've held SAS or if you went long at 600 and you've still got it, I mean, your portfolio has just been decimated and it has implications all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. We've got about five minutes left, so I just want to quickly run yeah. through the last couple of questions. So, best trade, worst trade, do you have those in your mind in your career? Oh, yes, dude, they are burnt into my brain. Best trade, one DDT. It was a data call warrant on die data. Um, the strike price was, uh, I think it was 65 or something like that. I can't remember. All I, I was buying it at 11 cents, and when it expired, it was 2 rand 35, and I still owned some. Truth, I didn't own as many. I, I probably only owned 10% of it. Um, but I was buying them sometime in 99 and probably bailing them. Uh, they probably, I think they expired mid-2000. In fact, no, I think they expired March 2000. Um, and it was just insane. And it just, I mean, it so set me a lot. It was, it was my first proper big uh, 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 winner. Um, and, and, and it was really great after just literally years and years of, of losers, uh, which included my worst loss. As I said, fortunately, my downside was always 100%. But I don't know if you remember Brainware. Pete Demboer yes. listed in 1996 at a Randis share. I somehow had someone on the inside. I got 20,000 shares. So I put 20 grand in. Uh, it went up sixfold. At one point, it was worth 120,000. It collapsed. 
Um, it became Selco, which was a Namibian uh, uh, power generation company. They did a 50 for one consolidation and it collapsed again and eventually delisted in about 2012. So I'd owned it for 16 years and I turned 20,000. And when I got that check for the delisting, I literally got 52 rand. Um, so it's, it's, it's not just that I had a, a loss of what 99 point many nine percent man if I just put that money in the bank and earned an interest rate over that 16 year period I probably would have more than doubled the money so you know and that's always how I view the losses like that is that it's not just that I got totally wiped out it's that I also could have done a whole lot better just by putting it in the bank um, but the one that always stuck was that that one DDT uh, Dada to call warrant um, and it was just Dardata, I mean, you could have made a packet just on Dardata and then you gear it on top and it was just insane. And truthfully, the Delta went through, you know, it was playing, it was trading a hundred Delta months away from expiry because it was so far in the money. But it, it just, it, it, that was my first sort of 20 bagger. Um, and, and it felt really good. It was really, really fun. Yeah, I'm sure. Absolutely. Those are the winners. Last question, Simon, is um, if you, and I'm sure you are, as I am, often approached by start-out uh, people coming into the market, young guys wanting to start trading. What advice would you give to someone who's new and wanting to get started in this business? I've got lots. I'll keep it to a few. First, you probably need more capital than you think. A um, couple of thousand rand. I know that they'll open you an account, but you can't do proper risk management with it. Um, my view is, is stay away from, from, from equities. And if you want to trade equities, that's fine. But don't do it geared until you're making money. You know, trading geared is, is jumping into the deep end when you don't know how to swim. You know, learn to swim and, and then. Um, so, so, you know, don't trade geared, just trade the equity. Can you make money trading a vanilla equity? And then I typically say to folks, actually rather go and trade an index, go trade something like the Ormi, which is the mini Aussie at a buck a point. Um, you know, IG's got some products at a few round a point. So almost like a sandbox in a sense. Uh, my third point is always, it's going to take you longer to learn the ropes than you expect, a lot longer. It took me five years. Um, my excuse is like you, I'm a slow learner and there was no internet really back then, no courses, no podcasts, no sort of anything to help me. Um, but it, 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 it's a, it's, a, it's a long road to, to go through. Um, and to really, to put in the time, you know, Gladwell spoke about that 10,000 hour rule, um, in his book outliers. And, and, you know, there's a lot to be said for and against the 10,000 hour, but, but put in the time, if you want to become an expert in technical analysis, you should be spending hours and hours and hours a week looking at charts and drawing lines and putting resistance and support and entries and exits and stops and, and, and not doing this with cash, just learning charting, you know, almost, almost in a sense, an apprenticeship, although in this case you are your own master as, as, as well as the apprentice. Um, but, but put that time in, this is a, a skill that, that we need to learn. Anyone can learn it, but, but learning comes through doing learning comes through experience. Learning comes through, what we're seeing right now in our market, you know, the, the, the collapse due to COVID-19. Um, you know, there's no panic coming from me because I've been here before, but I remember the, the sort of 87, the 97, 98, the 01, those collapses. I, I made all the bad mistakes because I, I lacked the experience. So you probably need more capital, uh, careful of geared equities, uh, expect it to take longer than you think, and put in lots and lots and lots of hours uh, to, to, to master the art of, of technical analysis, of trading, of derivatives. 
Yeah, that's brilliant advice. I mean, I think, and, and I'm glad you put it out in such clear terms, you know. Um, I think there's so much misinformation out there about trading and that it's an easy way to get a, get involved and make some money. And I think it's very badly marketed in many cases. So, you know, advice like what you've just said is, is, is very, very valuable. I often think about it like this, you know, if you said to somebody, um, go buy yourself some golf clubs and go and have some lessons with a golf pro and then next week you can join the pga tour and start making money playing golf um yeah. obviously everybody would look at that and say well that's ridiculous this, this is never going to happen but then trading has this mystique about it where people think that it's as simple as that that you literally put some money in an account maybe do a course or buy some software and then off you go and you start making money and it's that couldn't be further from the truth so i think some really valuable points you've put in there in terms of um advice for young traders simon that's all that we've got time for today so i'm going to end the podcast there it's really been fascinating talking to you as i knew it would be um, thank you very very much for your time today i really do appreciate it and especially from coming on right now while we you know markets are crashing <laughs> all around us due to covid19 and what have you so taking the time to speak to me today is very very much appreciated thank you all right golf always a pleasure man great chatting all right thanks simon and you take care cheers Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking with Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to the series by clicking the subscribe button on your favorite app. Till next time.